redhotradio.fm. My name is Arikana Chihomborekwa. In my last life, they called me Dr. C. I wondered why a wise woman by the name of Her Excellency Gosazana Laminizuma would think that a woman like me, a medical doctor with zero experience in diplomacy or politics for that matter, would be chosen to be the ambassador to the African Union here in the Americas. When the call first came, I really thought I was dreaming, and I thought it was a joke, because it just did not make sense that of all people, she would choose me. It took me six months of back and forth with her to finally convince me that I should go one of the key reasons was that she, tr she felt very strongly that the mission in Washington needed to be headed by a diaspora, by someone who understood the diaspora. The reason being, it was a unanimous decision by all African heads of states to bring the African diaspora to participate in the development of Africa. As a matter of fact, it had been discussed extensively that in order for sustainable development to come to Africa, it had to include the African diaspora. The African Union also took it to the next level and classified African diaspora as all people of African descent living outside Africa. So it was for that reason that she insisted and persisted to make sure that I took this position. I suggested to her that there were more qualified people that she needed to go after. But for some reason, she just simply would not let go. And the last conversation that got me to then say, you know what, girl, just give it up. She said, if you don't take this position, it's going to stay open as long as she was the chair. And my husband chimed in and he said, honey, you are being given a platform to do something about what is wrong with our Africa. And that if you don't take this position, he did not want to hear me complain ever again about what is wrong with our Africa. So on that note, really convinced that I was only going to go to Washington for six months because I did not think there was anything I could really do to make a difference. I did pack one suitcase. I lived in a hotel because I knew for a fact that I was not going to stay. I wanted to be able to look at my husband and say, honey, I tried. I wanted to be able to tell Madam Zuma that I tried and I simply couldn't do it. But by fifth month into Washington, something became very apparent to me. It was the disrespect for the African. 
I knew it existed, I just didn't realize the profoundness of it. And I found myself every day asking myself the question, what is it about being black that threatens so many? What, what have we done to the world that we are the most disrespected race, no matter where you encounter us on earth? This is something I deal with every day. And as I dig through to try and understand deeper, kind of like peeling the onions, the layers of an onion, I can't help but find myself getting stuck every time at this issue of color. Who called us black? When I ask myself as a, as a African born in Zimbabwe, then Rhodesia, the white men didn't come to Rhodesia until 1896. And we did not have the word black. Somewhere along the way, it was introduced. I grew up in Africa, I was African. It was only when I came to this country that I was constantly reminded that I was black. But as I began to dig even further, I said of all the colors on earth, why did they choose these two colors, black and white? They took one color, called it white, and gave it all kinds of attributes. Jesus Christ is white, the angels are white. You were white to go to a wedding. You were white uh, to go for christening. Even angel's food cake is white. Everything beautiful and wonderful and pure and desirable is white. And then they took a race that is not white in color and said, that's you, you're white. And then they took another color, called it black, and they associated it with the devil even though neither one of us has seen the devil, but it's just assumed the devil is black. You wear black to a funeral. I often say I've never seen a bank robber wearing a white mask to rob a bank. All the villains in movies are always black. Even those who, who commit mass murders, they wear black. Even devil's food cake is black. And then they took a race that is not black, and said, you all are black. And we as black mothers, we're struggling to raise our children in our homes and we tell them as often as we can that you're black and you're beautiful. But the reality is when they step outside the door, there's so many, they're just completely immersed in, in subliminal messages about how horrible that which we represent as black people. How can these children grow up with better self-esteem, feeling good about themselves when the rest of the world is consistently telling them that black is horrible. And yet another race, their children are born being told everything about you is perfect. They are all subliminal messages. No matter how hard we try, white people automatically know they're superior because they're just immense in everything that is wonderful about who, the color that they represent. Question is, we have never questioned it. 
we were just told. How do we begin to address that? Think about it, guys. We were just told you're black and everything to do with black is bad and undesirable. So how can I only be the only thing that is desirable when everything else that represents me is bad? We have never questioned it. That was a lie. That was a lie. The reality is, and black and they end white. It was a lie that was put forth to see to it that we never feel like we mount to anything. That we feel inferior and they feel superior. It's something that I struggle with every day. And it goes to the core as to why we Black people are the most disrespected race on earth. It goes to the core of why we have been able to percolate this generation after generation. Nobody has to teach us, we just know we are inferior. We enter this world feeling inferior and then everything subliminally is just reinforced that you're black, you're no good. That is why when they run into you, our men, into the alleys, the tendency is to run. When you are walking on the same side of the street with them, they change the side. Because they are told that which you represent is undesirable, is scary. How do we change that? So on that note, I concluded that maybe I should stay in Washington just a little bit longer. <laughs> to be the voice for the 1.27 billion on the continent, to be the voice for the over 400 million black people around the globe, we must speak our truth. Our children must know that we are descendants of some of the most powerful kingdoms on earth. Our colonizers, when they came to Africa, they found us with some of the most advanced educational systems that they emulated. They found some of the most advanced artwork that they picked and took to their countries because they did not have what we had. And because we were so advanced than they were, they sought out to destroy everything that we had. They copied what we had and took it with them back to their Europe. And they did everything they could to destroy everything that could remind us of who we once were. Amazing, powerful kings and queens. Amazing, powerful kingdoms. They proceeded to put us through a process of degrading us through slavery. As if that was not enough after slavery, quote unquote, ended, which it never really ended. 
they proceeded with colonization. You see, you got to understand the manner in which they were coming into our Africa was haphazard. Everybody was rushing in to take over whatever they could get. And like I often say, pretty soon they were getting ready to fight each other over how to distribute that which they would have stolen from the continent. So in order to avoid a European war on the African soil in 1884, November to August, to February, sorry, of 1885, the colonizers were called to come and meet in Berlin by the then chancellor of Germany, Bismarck, precisely to discuss how they could organize themselves so they can effectively loot from the Africans. They also met in order to organize themselves so they can see to it that Africa and her children are forever defeated and dominated. May I repeat that? Because if you are to understand your Africa as we come together and talk about way forward, you must know how we got here. So please pay attention. You need to know this. They got together to organize themselves so they can strategize to see to it that Africa and her children are forever defeated and dominated. 135 years ago, fast forward, nothing has changed. The plan remains in place. They chopped up your Africa into the tiny little economies that we see today. Economies designed to see to it that they will never survive on their own. We got 43 different currencies in Africa. Borders that take two, three days to cross. Languages. We were assigned, different countries were assigned to different colonizers who spoke different languages. The more powerful a kingdom was, the more countries that came out of it, the more languages that came out of it for maximal destruction. Give it a generation. The people who were once one did not know each other. It was all by design. And to, to bring it a little bit home, once a friend showed me a photograph there were a group of women on one side selling their tomatoes and vegetables and everything else. And about the other end of the wall, there was another group of women doing the same. And the brother said to me, Ambassador, what do you see? I said, oh, I see a road. She said, he said, no, that is a border. When the women on this side of the street run out of tomatoes, their guests, their, uh, guests, their customers, who are looking at tomatoes on the other side, cannot walk across to buy those tomatoes because that is a border, they need a visa, thanks to the Berlin Conference. That's how bad the situation is. A brother of mine who manufactures tiles, some of the best ceramic tiles in Egypt, he once told me, he said, my sister, I sent my tiles to Italy. And the Italians renamed them Italian tiles. And my African brothers and sisters are paying for the same tiles 20 to 30 times the cost 
when they buy them from Italy, thanks to the Berlin Conference. My brother cannot sell his tiles in, in, from Egypt to the rest of the country, of the continent, because of the currency. It all boils down to the Berlin Conference. At every level, isn't economic growth measured by output? Increased output from one production cycle to the other. If you have to buy your towels from Egypt at 20 to 30 times the cost, how much of a profit could you possibly make? None. Mozambique, which produces oil, the oil has to go outside Mozambique, outside Africa, only for Zimbabwe next door to buy it back. Now multiply that one item after another. And all this is going on because of the Berlin Conference. As if that wasn't bad enough. Just total chaos. Break up the people. Create unsustainable conditions. 1958 to 61, supposedly they were giving us our independence. France did something absolutely deplorable. They said, if you want your independence, you got to sign this piece of paper. We are calling it the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization. They could have tried and give it a different name, but just putting it out there. We're going to continue colonization in a different format. And you got to sign it. And if you don't sign it, there'll be consequences. Well, there were two countries that said, you know what, France? No. It's time for you to pack your bags and go on home. That was Guinea and Mali. In their disgust and disbelief, they could not understand why an African country would not want to be affiliated with France. How dare you? In their anger, history tells us France went into those two countries, Guinea and Mali, took everything that they thought they had brought to those two countries, including the last teaspoon and chair, according to President Mugabe. They proceeded to pour concrete into the sewage, sewage pipes, completely devastating the two economies. Also, another way of showing the other francophone, and I hate using that word. There is no such thing as francophone. There is no such thing as anglophone. We are Africans, period. It was another warning to the other countries that if you dare go against the French, this is what was going to happen to you. The then newly appointed president of Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah, in his efforts to help those two economies, created the first ever non-union of any African states, Ghana, Guinea, and Mali. 1963, our Pan-African leaders realizing that Berlin Conference had left Africa in a losing lane. That no matter what we do while we are in the losing lane, nothing is going to succeed. It's like changing seats when you're sitting in the Titanic. Because this ship is going down, folks. Africa has got to move from the losing lane that Berlin left us in into a winning lane. And that meant Africa must come together and speak with one voice. Applause 
1963, our Pan-African leaders got together to discuss the coming together of a continent. They went to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, at the invitation of His Majesty Haile Selassie. But suddenly, sadly, when they went to Addis Ababa, they were divided. They were the Casablanca group, who were the Pan-Africanists, who said Africa for the Africans at home and abroad and African Union now. They understood that that was the only way Africa could take its rightful place on the world stage, only when we are united, not as 55 different countries. <laughs> Unfortunately, of the 32 countries that attended, only seven belonged to the Casablanca group. The Casablanca group was Ghana, Guinea, and Mali, Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. The rest were the nationalists, the Monrovia group. They said, let's go slow. So the Casablanca group lost. We often say, Africa lost when the Casablanca group lost in 1963. 55 years later, we were still going slow. But all is not lost. But before I go to the 2018 decision, let me remind those of you who may not have listened to my videos, the document that France made the African countries sign, the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization, allow me to highlight a few of the items on the document. The document precisely and clearly stated that you Africans do not know how to manage your money. You shall deposit 85% of your bank reserves with the French Central Bank under the control of the French Minister of Finance. Should you wish to access some of your own money, you have to submit your country's financial report. And if approved, you can only access up to 20% of your money year in, year out as a loan at commercial interest rates. and that France was the only country that can print your money for you. They created two currencies, the Central African CEFA and the West African CEFA, same animal. They went on to say all your minerals discovered and yet to be discovered, all your oil discovered and yet to be discovered, the French companies have the first right of refusal. If there's anything left behind, maybe your people might have it. Your language of instruction shall be French, and that your military can only, be, can only be trained by France, that you can only buy military equipment from France, and that France will have military presence in your country, and that France may invade you without notice if France feels its interests are being threatened. My brothers and sisters, if you were to be a president of one of those countries and your first day in office, your chief of staff walks up to you and reads you the do's and don'ts as stipulated by the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization, what power do you have? Fast forward, 2019, the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization remains alive and well unchallenged, 
Today, France is taking over $500 billion out of Africa year in and year out. The latest numbers are saying for every 14 billion France takes out of Africa after investing it in the French stock market. By the way, when they collect the 85% of your bank reserves, they pull all that money together, they invest it in the French stock market under the French name, and the countries may or may not know the returns. So for every 14 billion that France takes out of Africa, by the time they finish investing it in the French stock market, they are recognized upwards of $300 billion. So in actuality, France is taking out of Africa trillions of dollars year in and year out. And they look at us and call us poor. They wanna know why these Africans are not developing themselves. One of my brothers told me, he said, oh, Ambassador, if you go to some of these oil companies and some of these mines, past a certain point, only white Frenchmen are allowed. This is your Africa, my brothers and sisters. They want to tell you that there's corruption in Africa. I am not disputing that. They tell you about 40 to 50 billion dollars is getting out of Africa every year from corruption. I give it to you. But you got to understand corruption is a team sport. Don't just tell me about the monies coming out of Africa. I want to know where those billions are going. But also I like to think I'm a smart black woman. There are two thieves. There's a thief with a briefcase with $50 billion and a thief with a briefcase with $500 billion. You want me to go after the thief with $50 billion and completely disregard the one with $500 billion? I don't think so. And by the time France is done investing that money, do you see how quickly the $50 billion becomes the larger crumb under the table. So they want to put that wool over your eyes so you stay under the table fighting each other so you never talk about what is going on on the table. We must understand our Africa, my brothers and sisters. As we try to come together and organize ourselves to take our Africa to its rightful place on the world stage, we must first understand what is really going on. We have had a total of 67 coups in Africa over the years. None, and I repeat, none were of African origin. 22 African leaders were, were assassinated, majority of them under the instruction of France. For those of you who say, but Ambassador, this part for the continuation of colonization, why haven't the African leaders done something? Yes, they have. We know of seven definitely who were assassinated simply because they wanted to pull out of the pact for the continuation of colonization. Now they don't do coups anymore. They just create conflicts in the countries. 
The rest of the other coups, it was a lot of these young, rich, white kids who just went out creating coups in Africa whenever a natural resource was discovered. Ghana, when Ghana discovered oil a few years ago, the common saying was, well, we wonder when the coup is coming. Guaranteed. Some of you may not know of the situation in Zimbabwe one time, a few years ago, well, several decades, over 20 years ago. A bunch of young kids, white kids, were having fun in Cape Town. Equatorial Guinea had just discovered oil, and they wanted it. So the plan was to have a coup in Equatorial Guinea. While the country was thrown into a civil war, these young men were just going to siphon the oil. So a plan was hitched that they were going to pick up a diaspora who lived in the islands. He was going to be the next president. And another plane was to leave South Africa. They made one mistake. They stopped by Zimbabwe to pick up more ammunition in the name of going to Equatorial Guinea to hunt. President Mugabe smelt a rat and wondered why this young man needed such powerful ammunition to go hunting in Equatorial Guinea. And looking further, he found out that was a coup in the making. So he allowed the young men to come in. They loaded their plane. And just before takeoff, they were all arrested. One of the people, the leaders, was none other than the son of the former Prime Minister of Britain, Margaret Thatcher. Had these young people succeeded, it would have been a case of, oh, you know, these Africans, there they go again. Our Africa, my brothers and sisters, has been played like a football. They have total control of our economies, which is why they feel they have the right to disrespect us because we have no economic power. Fast forward from 1963, March of last year, our leaders came together and said enough is enough. We can no longer continue with this insanity. Africa must speak with one voice, one continent, one Africa. They signed what we are now calling the African Continental Free Trade Area, where Africa is now going to be negotiating as a block. There are many who doubted us. They said this African Continental Free Trade Area is never going to work. Ratifications take a minimum of five years each. And you're talking about ratifications of 22 countries? It's never going to happen. It's going to be a piece of paper in a drawer. I sat and listened to the insults July last year. Blatantly spoken. It's never going to happen. Forget it. Well, guess what, my brothers and sisters? Exactly 14 months later, April this year, the 22nd ratification was deposited to, to the African Union. Midnight, May 30th, African Continental Free Trade Area was now in force. 
July 7th this year, the official launch of the African Continental Free, area, free Trade Area is going to be done. And six to 12 months from the 7th of July, trading as Africa is going to begin. You see, by December, they began to see that, my goodness, it looks like the CFTA is going to happen. Now everybody's crumbling. How are we going to get involved with Africa? How are we going to engage ourselves? Last year, we saw the largest number of embassy applications ever in the history of Africa. Many countries with multiple applications, because everybody is trying to now take a position about the sleeping giant who is rising. They have taken us for granted for far too long. Time is up. But you know what saddens me? While the rest of the world is strategizing on how to get into Africa, the children of Africa are still sleeping. The children of Africa are still sleeping. We're still listening to their voices that are telling us, your Africa is a diseased and dying continent, don't go there. That your leaders are corrupt, they'll take your money, don't go there. 2017, President Trump was addressing the African leaders. He said, I don't know why you guys are poor. My friends go to Africa poor, they come back rich. I had a lot of diaspora calling me. Ambassador, why would he say that? I said, well, did the men say anything that wasn't true? The question you should be asking me is, Ambassador, how can I do that too? They are telling you not to go to Africa when they are running to Africa for their needs. The African heads of states are very clear about one thing, and I am going to say this because it's important that you all know this. I have been told by many heads of states, many leaders, that specifically, Ambassador, bring the African-Americans home. We are now getting ready to enter the implementation phase of the African Continental Free Trade Area. The African Union is very clear about one thing. Africa for the Africans at home and abroad, period. You don't go to China and find black people on the front row. You don't go to Mexico and find black people on the front seat. You don't go to Europe and find black people on the front row. Why must you go to Africa and find others besides Africans on the front row? This is a situation the African Union is saying must come to an end and they will not allow it to happen in this new phase of the African continental free trade area. 
you have got to understand my brothers and sisters what's getting ready to happen we are talking about something that has never happened in the history of Africa we are talking about investing and strategizing for the development of Africa the continent not the individual African countries What I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, and listen to me, and listen to me clearly. We are in the makings of this plan. We are in the makings of this plan. That means there are players that need to be on the table. The African Union is saying only the children of Africa can be on this table. Plain and simple. On the continent, the billionaires and millionaires of Africa who are now called the Afro champions, they have approached the African Union and said, African Union, while we may not give you money, and African Union said, we don't need your money. You need to build your Africa the way you want. They have pledged to work with the African Union agenda. The African Union agenda for the purposes of the African continental free trade area, two priority areas, infrastructure, that's roads, bridges, ports, seaports and airports, and agro-processing. They are in the process of organizing different sectors for the purposes of giving your Africa to you on a smorgasbord, on a silver platter. They said, Ambassador, we have the Afro champions on the continent. The children of Africa on the diaspora must come to the table. They said, Ambassador, bring the diaspora, they must be on the table together with the Afro champions. And these two groups must get the contracts to build the Africa we want first. They said this is a new baby that we're trying to raise together. We must plan together. We must organize together. This has never been done before. The expertise that is needed on the continent is in the diaspora. They're saying, Ambassador, this will be a painful thing if we have to give contracts to non-Africans because the Africans are missing in action. So it is, my brothers and sisters, that I'm running around this country like a chicken without a head. I'm on a mission to let every diaspora that must know, know that Africa's doors are swinging wide open, that the railway from Cape Town to Cairo must be built, that the highway from Cairo, from Ghana to Djibouti must be built. The question is, who is going to build it? They have given us, the former Prime Minister of Kenya, Raila Odinga, a true child of Africa.
He has made it very clear. Ambassador, the children of Africa in the diaspora must come home and take what is rightfully theirs. Another head of state put it very nicely as well. He said, my sister, go tell them that the 40 acres and the mule, forget that. They should come to Africa and get a thousand acres and a thousand mules. That the world that is Africa's world belongs to the children of Africa and only the children of Africa. The colonizers may have been stealing for, from us for centuries, but the latest numbers show that they've only taken about 10%. Every day we're discovering more and more natural resources. I want you guys to know that you are inheritors of an amazing continent. the superpowers, they are envious of the position Africa is in. So my question to you, my brothers and sisters, you are inheritors of a continent that has everything and anything the world could ever need. You are in a position to really charter the way forward for you to build the Africa for a change that you want. The DNA that runs in your veins is the DNA of originality. If that's not enough reason for you to stand on top of the tallest mountain and proclaim to the world who you are, the proud, the beautiful, intelligent, sophisticated, highly adaptable, and totally indestructible children of Mother Africa. I don't know what else will. Mother Africa is calling my brothers and sisters. It's time for us to go home. Out of the African Union mission, we have one particular program that I felt I needed to share with you because Brother Olivier insisted that I do so. In order for us to build the Africa that we want, we have to be realistic about one thing. The capacity that is needed to build, up, to build our Africa is in the diaspora. The brain drain that has occurred over many centuries has got to be reversed. It's not easy to just say, go on home to Africa. It's not that practical. We have to be realistic. I used to take doctors to Africa on missions all the time. And you would find a whole orthopedic surgeon treating an ear infection a whole neurosurgeon treating pneumonias because the facilities were not there for them to do what they do. Today, Africa needs 1.2 million doctors. 
If all the continental African doctors and all African-American doctors were to go home to Africa today, we are only going to need, meet about 20, 30% of the need. So as you can see, no amount of money put into Africa will give us the desired results in healthcare. The same is true in all other sectors. So if the truth be told, what Africa needs is capacity building. So with that in mind, we came up with the idea of building what we are calling the African centers, African diaspora centers of excellence. In these centers of excellence, AKA Wakanda, there is going to be one, a thousand bed teaching hospital for building all the capacity we need in healthcare. There's going to be a university with technical colleges. There's going to be an agricultural farm and agricultural college hotels for hospitality, the roads, of course, the infrastructure and housing to support the development, pharmaceutical manufacturing as well. Some of you may not know, but in sub-Saharan Africa, over 50% of drugs going into those countries from outside have zero bioavailability. Our family members are dying, thinking they are taking blood pressure medications, diabetic medications, antibiotics, when they are taking chalk in some cases, poisonous substances. This has got to change. These are murderers who are not being held accountable, and they're doing it because they can. We must manufacture our own drugs. There's also going to be a power plant. Everything that's going to be in Wakanda One, Wakanda One is a regional center of excellence. It's a developmental hub there will be more hospitals in the region, more hotels, more infrastructure, more power plants, more pharmaceutical manufacturing, more agriculture, all of it built and operated by the African diaspora in collaboration with our brothers and sisters on the continent. There are going to be five such Wakanda villages, one in each region. This is how we are going to reverse the brain drain. And that means in order for us to realize Wakanda as a reality, we must come together. We must speak with one voice. We must create a database, a professional database. So when we have the information, we need to be able to message each other when we need to pass out those contracts, we need to know who you are and what you do. It is for that reason that I'm here today to officially launch the sixth region chapter of Illinois. I could not have thought of a better place to, to start than Chicago. I am counting on... You see, with, 70, with uh, an extensive diaspora database, 75% of the work is done. Money is not an issue. Picture a situation. There are 50 million people in this country. If we just take 1 million diaspora, 50 million diaspora in this country, if we take 1 million and everybody puts in $1,000, that's a billion dollars. Can we not do that, folks? 
It's that simple. So once we, <clears throat> we organize and create the database, mobilization of funds is a piece of cake. Mobilization of funds is a piece of cake. So I'm counting on all of you to reach out to Brother Olivier and his team. Let's create an amazing database for the state of Illinois. For when the contracts are coming, we want to be able to reach out to you. Mother Africa is calling my brothers and sisters. I want us to answer that call. Not as 55 different African countries, not as 1.27 brothers and sisters on the continent, not as 400 diaspora in the diaspora, but as one children of one mother Africa. I often say, birds sing not because they can, they sing because they have a song. As a united front of Mother Africa's children, we sure do have a song to sing to the world. Let's join hands and sing in unison as we waltz our way across the Atlantic back to the motherland. I thank you. FM.